Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. That's right. We are your weekly podcast. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, friends, for being a part of the podcast family, wherever you are at around the world. Say hello to your brothers and sisters in over 155 nations. (laughs) Where's my hand clap sound effect? I don't know. But uh, anyways, praise God. We're glad you're here this morning tuning in. And uh, we're honored to be here, friends. So we're going to jump back into our topic today that's right you're listening to defection or departure part two and i hope that you shared this with somebody because you know there's been all this um needless and unnecessary that's right controversy over this topic right here you know and some people talk about the rapture of the church as it's as if it's just the most heretical thing there is going. Listen, there are far more obviously heretical messages out there. This one is pretty clear, my friends. And so that's our intention today is to just dive in and actually see what the word says. You know, um, we kind of call ourselves a, a, a word church. I mean, that's in none of our titles or anything. It's just something that we have asked ourselves, listen, are we actually going to go back to the Bible? Is that where we're going to derive our messages and our teachings? Are we actually going to have a honest, come on, an integrous uh, paradigm that is based or worldview that is based out of the Bible? Like for real, can you actually base your life on the scriptures? Well, my friends, I'm here to testify to you today that yes, it is possible. Now, I don't know everything. I'm still learning and growing. So don't, you know, don't base your life off me. Base your life off the word. But I can tell you from my personal experience that uh, since I have gone back to the Bible and said, you know what? I believe that that book, that supernatural compilation, come on, of what God has said concerning his dealings with man, that the answers are in there. Now, I haven't readily found them, uh, or necessarily have found them as quickly as I would like, but I have found them eventually because I stayed in it. I said, you know what? It's in here somewhere and I'm going to find it. And sure enough, friends, I have had all the questions that I needed answered, answered. Uh, like I said, it may have taken a few days, but that's not the Bible's fault. That's my, um, inability sometimes to comprehend or understand right off. But you know what? Just stick with it. Hallelujah. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Hallelujah, somebody. All right, so this is what we're doing. Uh, We are answering the question concerning the rapture of the church, and we're using one passage. I mean, we're just really dialing in on one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you got your scriptures, then go ahead and turn there. We're just using this passage. I mean, there's way more to this, friends. Uh, I've been looking in on this now for several weeks, uh, we've done several messages. Um, if you if you tune in to our Sunday mornings, uh, we've done several messages along these lines. We're talking about the Blessed Hope. We've done podcasts. I mean, and, and we we've we've not even left really Second Thessalonians. Uh, there are way uh, more 
many other passages dealing with this concept. And let me say this right here too, is there are many raptures in the Bible. Enoch, Elijah, I, you know, I mean, when John was caught up, Paul was caught up. I mean, if you are doing a honest approach to the Bible, you'll see that this concept is thoroughly substantiated scripturally. And then we find out that Jesus Christ is our deliverer from the wrath to come. And listen, friends, he is going to appear and you and I are going to be caught up, harpazo. We're going to be raptured to meet our Lord in the air forever to be with him. We will leave this earth, friends. We will stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ Jesus. And then afterwards, there will be a glorious uh, marriage supper of the Lamb where we are celebrating our uh, marriage to our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. All right, now let's get into this. Now, if you're jumping in from last week, uh, then this is going to be a continuation. If you're just tuning into part two, you might go back and listen to part one, although we're going to review uh, quite a bit here because it just needs to be repeated. There's several things that are not said all the time, and so some of this just needs to be repeated so you and I can get it down in our spirit. Hallelujah. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, he's talking about the day of the Lord. It's mentioned the day of Christ, but it's talking about the day of judgment. This is when uh, really the craziness starts to happen. Judgment gets uh, poured out upon the earth just prior to Jesus himself returning. This is what that is referring to, the day of the Lord. It's mentioned in another place that it will be like um, uh, this day will sneak up on people like a thief in the night. Now, not to those who are of the light. Listen, friends, you and I are going to be raptured and you and I are going to exactly know when. I'm telling you, we don't know right now, but by the time we get right upon the rapture, it is not going to be a secret event taking you and I by surprise. People in the world who aren't watching, suddenly we're going to be gone. It's going to surprise them, but not you and I, friends. And then uh, I think it's what First Thessalonians chapter 5, where he's talking about that day shall be like, shall come as a thief in the night to them. If you study that passage, there is a they and them, and then there's us and we. The us and we in that passage is referring to those who are of the light, who are paying attention. We're sober, we're praying, we're watching, friends. It's not going to come upon us because, well, one, we're not going to be on the earth. We're not the um, spectators on the earth, friends. No, we're the ones coming back with them. Zechariah prophesies this. Study Zechariah 13 and 14. But Zechariah prophesies this where the saints return with Jesus. That's the day of the Lord. He's going to put his feet down on the Mount of Olives, and we're with him, friends. And that is judgment. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's going to be a wild day, uh, absolutely wild day. But anyways, this is what he's saying here. Don't let anybody deceive you, for that day will not come. Now, these people had been inundated by some traveling jokers. That's what I call them. These were um, people who maybe came in the name of an apostle or prophet. Listen, you got to watch these guys who try and flex their, um, you know, their prowess as apostles because most of these modern apostles today, while we believe, let me say this, I believe in apostolic function totally, 100%. But there's a movement today that has massaged those definitions that are just not, uh, as I've come to understand, they're just not really legit. And one of the things that even in 
the Bible days here to the people in Thessalonica, but even in our day today, they kind of slip in saying, hey, I've got special revelation, especially these modern prophets. Um, you know, uh, the, it's like they they have these, um, and it's based on a like a post-mill eschatology, the, the kind of kingdom now. They literally think they're in the millennial uh, reign of peace and authority right now on the earth. But one of the doctrines associated with that is that they have special revelation. And uh, same, same thing happened here. You had these people traveling around, probably in, in the name of a prophet or in the name of an apostle, say, and they came in and said, we have special revelation that we are in the time of judgment. Then Paul said that they had their own people. Uh, okay, and so th- some of their own people were like given the dreams and visions, say, and they came in and said, hey, I've got a prophetic word. The Holy Spirit told me that we're in the time of judgment. Paul said, no, false. Then these people in particular had letters that somebody had forged Paul's name, writing to them saying, listen, the Antichrist has already been revealed and you're in the time of judgment. Paul's writing and said, no, false, 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 friends. And he's giving us the exact details we need in order to navigate these types of issues. He said, these two things will happen first. What are they? This is why he's saying, let no one deceive you. These two things must happen first. Now, listen, friends, if you refuse to be a legitimate student of the Bible, there's nothing I can do to help you, okay? If you want to be deceived, go out here. There's deceivers. They're a dime a dozen. In fact, you can probably get them for a nickel, okay? No, no, they're on sale today, a penny a dozen, and you can have all the false prophecy. You can have all the deception you want, friends. But if you really want to know uh, what the Bible is saying, then quit acting the fool and get in your Bibles and just read this thing uh, and and attempt to understand it as because uh, it is plainly written to you. It is meant to be understood. It is meant to be understood. Don't let any of these jokers out here, I don't care, you know, if they're capital A apostle, you know, uh, Joe, Frank, you know, uh, squiggly do. And then after his name, he's got letters and lowercase apostle. Listen, I, it doesn't matter. If somebody says, I have special revelation. Listen, I had a dream. An angel came to me. Uh, I've got this. I have unction, you know, whatever, you know, a, a blue monkey appeared with a pink petal. Uh, that, that would be <laughs> an obvious sign here. Hey, listen. Oh yeah. Blue monkey told you. Okay. Um, it doesn't matter what they say. They say, I have special revelation that uh, we're in the time of judgment or whatever. Listen, Paul has settled the issue. These things must take place. What are these two things? He says the falling away. We're going to talk about that. Is it defection or is it departure? That's the whole point of our podcasts right now. That must happen first. I say, okay, so we're going to talk about that. And then the second thing that must happen before the day of judgment is that the man of sin the son of perdition will be revealed. All right. Now let's get back into this word here, falling away, as is translated by King Jimmy. Now I use the new King James version. That's kind of my primary Bible. Although I will tell you right now that I have considered swapping over to something like a new American standard 1995 or something like that. It's a, it's a modern, but it's a word for word translation kind of in, in a more uh, modern um vernacular, but uh, King King James did a good job. But here, I think he missed it. 
And that's why we're doing these podcasts. All right, so the Greek word that King James translated falling away, some Bibles translate it rebellion. Some Bibles actually even use the word apostasy. Uh, I didn't even looked at the New, New American Standard to see how they translate it, but uh, the Greek word is apostasia, apostasia. And uh, you would phonetically spell it A-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-A. You can go back and do your own study. In fact, I encourage you to do that. Don't just take my word for it. Uh, again, dig into your Bibles, friends. Do some of your own homework, or you and I are no better than just these same Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonican people who receive traveling ministers in the name of special revelation, have our own dreams and visions, or you know, are gullible enough to believe uh, forged letters. If you and I my phone's dinging here. I'm turning it off. If you and I do not do our own homework, friends, then we're guilty of some of the same charges. All right? Now, there are people that I trust, obviously. But at some point, you need to take responsibility for what you know of the Scriptures. All right, now, this Greek word, apostasia, uh, there is significant reason to believe that it can be translated departure. Now, I'm going to review a little bit from last week, but it's it needs to be repeated here, friends. There's a lot of controversy here, and, and, you know, I understand why now. But the Greek noun apostasy is only used twice in the New Testament. When we would look at a word, we would look at how it's used. So it occurs twice, once right here in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, apostasia, and then once in Acts 21.21. Let me read that to you, and I think you'll understand why there's some controversy over the exact definition of the, of the word. It says in referring to Paul that he was teaching uh, concerning Jews that are becoming Gentiles. They were saying that they Paul was encouraging them to apostasia Moses or translated in the New King James to forsake Moses. Now, since the noun is used only twice in the whole of the New Testament, some controversy over its exact meaning exists. Now, Here's what's interesting, though, is there's a verb form of this word. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time here and read you some scriptures. The verb form of this word is used 15 times, 15 times in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to read you several verses. Here's one right here, Luke 2:37. See if you can notice where the verb form, and uh, I'm not sure how to say that in Greek. It's ephistemi, I think is how you say that in Greek. See if you can pick out which word, which English word, is the verb form of apostasia, epistemi, in Greek. Here it is, Luke 2.37. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Could you tell which word was the verb form of apostasia in that verse? what's translated depart in the New King James Bible. The King James says departed not. Now, if you know context, this is the uh, prophetess. After she was widowed, she went to the temple and she stayed in there, fasted and prayed because she believed she was going to see the Messiah when he came. And sure enough, she did. Well, she did not depart from the temple. You know, could, could we even say that she did not forsake the temple? She didn't defect from the temple, did did, did she? Interesting. Uh, there, the verb form clearly means physical departure. She stayed right there. All right. 
uh, Luke 4.13, Luke 4.13, it says this, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. That's the New King James. Could you pick out the word there? The verb form of apostasia, ephistomy, is the Greek word in its verb form. It's translated departed. Now you know the context. This is when Satan came to tempt Jesus. After he had tempted Jesus, what did he do? He departed. Now, the New American Standard Bible, 1995 edition, it says this of that verse. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Here, the New American Standard Bible translates epistemy, the verb form of apostasia, as left, left. Satan left Jesus. He departed from him. All right, here's Luke 13, 27. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. You know the context of the story here. Lord, Lord, Jesus said, I don't know who you are. Depart from me. That's the verb form there. Again, the noun, like, like we've been saying, here's why the controversy exists. Is the noun is only used twice. And this is what uh, all the scholars tell us is that you have to look at the context in order to determine if the noun is a abstract departure, as in a religious departure or defection, or if it's a spatial one, like a literal departure, a physical removal of something. The expanded Bible, I really like that Bible. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like the Amplified. So far, I've been using the expanded Bible quite a bit in my studies. So far, uh, it's it's it seems to be legit. Here's what the expanded Bible says of Luke thirteen twenty seven. But he will say to you, "I don't know you or where you come from. Go away from me, all you who do evil." Here, the expanded Bible translates aphistomy, the v- verb form of apostasia, as go away. All right, what about Acts 15, 38? But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them and had not gone with them to the work. That's Acts 15, 38. Can you pick out the word there? That's right. It's translated into English as departed. So this is talking about somebody who physically, spatially departed from another group one person from another, et cetera. Second Timothy, excuse me, second Corinthians 12, eight concerning this thing. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. You probably know the context here. This is when Paul, because of the, of the abundance of revelations, uh, revelations. Yeah, I guess it'd be plural there, but because of the abundance of revelation, he was having a messenger of Satan, a demon spirit, it wasn't an affliction. It wasn't a disease. Okay, that's another sermon right there, but it was the Bible actually says. Listen, friends, you wonder why people get confused over the Bible. You wonder why people come up with these crazy understandings of the Scripture. In that context right there, it literally says that Paul's thorn was this demon spirit that was assigned to him because Paul was having an abundance of revelation. He was being caught up in the spirit. Jesus Christ was teaching him things, in particular, the whole, what some people categorize as the Pauline revelation. Paul received the commission about the mystery church. He was having, trust me, he was having an abundance of revelation. And a demon spirit was assigned to Paul. It wasn't an eye problem. Listen, there are, 
I mean, I don't know how many, hundreds, maybe thousands of messages out there by people who are saying that the thorn was an eye problem, was a knee issue, was arthritis, a hip thing. I, I mean, I, I, I've heard two or three different versions of the story, and I'm like, okay, what mass confusion because you refuse to believe the Bible as it's plainly written. The Bible says that the thorn was a demon spirit, not an eye problem. Okay. Uh, and here we are again, because people are saying, oh, yeah, the rapture is not in the Bible. Rapture is not in the Bible. Harpazo is in the Bible. And here it is clearly Paul saying, listen, don't be deceived. Okay. Second Corinthians 12, 8. He pleaded with the Lord three times uh, that this demon spirit might what? Depart from me. Go away from me. That it would forsake me. <laughs> Get away from me. Okay. What about 1 Timothy 6, 5? 1 Timothy 6, 5. Now, we're going to jump right into, like, this verse starts right in the middle of a conversation. But it says, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds who are destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Watch this. Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul says, from such men, withdraw yourself. You know which word is the Greek verb, ephistomy? It's the word withdrawal. Okay, that's the verb form of the noun apostasia. Now, most people, when they hear the word apostasy, what are you thinking? Well, you're thinking uh, religious defection. That's, that's what most people, and that's how most of us use the noun in our modern communicating. But the controversy is, is that the noun could also mean spatial departure. So which is it? Again, that's why the controversy exists. But let the Bible speak for itself, friends. And I'm giving you some tools. Uh, I'm giving you some backstory here where you can do your own research, come up with your own conclusions. You know what I mean? Believe what you want. I don't care. But um, let's be honest and, and integrous, though, about the Bible. All right. So he says, withdraw yourself. That's the verb form. All right. And then lastly, there's 15. We didn't cover all of them. We just picked out some. I picked out most of them that use the word as a spatial departure. Second Timothy 2.19. Now, here's one, though, that kind of combines the thought. Let's see if you can uh, conclude its usage here. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and, quote, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, this one was interesting um, because out of the 15, there were three in particularly that, you know, in my opinion and the opinions of others as well, kind of explicitly means more like a abstract departure, like a defection from a religious or from the faith, say. The other ones are very um, obviously meaning like physical departure. This one, though, is kind of a blend of both. And I think you can see this here. So it kind of depends on the, in particular context, which direction maybe we might lean. This one, though, seems to be either. You could depart from iniquity. Like uh, when Potiphar's wife put the moves on Joseph, he departed from there, did he not? Um, that was physical departure from a temptation to, you know, join in into iniquity or sin, you know, get himself in trouble here by partaking in something that Potiphar's wife was offering. He didn't need to be involved in. But so you could see how literally this could be physical departure from 
a temptation to sin, or it could be literally depart. Stop imagining, thinking, stop meditating on evil things, sin, premeditated sin or whatever. I mean, you can see here, I think you understand without me elaborating, I think you can see how this could be either. That's the verb form of the noun apostasia, apostasy. Now, the point that I'm trying to make here is it's obvious that the root meaning of the word in its verb form is mostly used, most of the time used, to mean physical departure, and only a few times to indicate something maybe more abstract, something like a religious departure or a defection. Many have concluded then that the controversy regarding the use of the noun form, which has the core meaning of departure, depends upon the context to determine whether Again, it is a physical departure or an abstract departure, such as departure from the faith. Now, we mentioned last week translation history. And uh, I, want, I want to go over that again because um, I want to uh, read you something that I got from a friend of mine. But um, anyways, translation history provides a pretty strong argument for its definition um, the first seven Bibles, and I think there's been a couple actually that I've discovered included to this list. Whoever compiled this list originally, uh, I think missed one, one or two, but it doesn't matter because it's still the, the point is the first English translations of the Bible all uh, translated it either departage or departing or departure. For example, the, Wyc- the Wycliffe Bible and uh, even though the Tyndale Bible is actually um, honored or said to be the first Bible um, because of the use of the printing press, the Wycliffe Bible was actually the first Bible that was translated in English. It was just handwritten. And uh, Wycliffe's Bible, uh, let's see, did I, I don't know if I added the actual, uh, no, I didn't. You, you can go online, though. You can get the uh, Wycliffe Bible online. You can look it up, and you can see how he used uh, that word there. But the Tyndall Bible, 1526, by the way, the Wycliffe Bible was 1384. 1384, said to be the first Bible translated into English, but it was handwritten. The Tyndall Bible, 1526, was the first Bible that utilized the printing press. Here's how the William Tyndall Bible, 1526, reads. It says, this is 2 Thessalonians 2.3 out of the Tyndale 1526. And the English here, like, uh, for example, says, let no uh, man deceive. Deceive is spelled D-E-C-E-A-V-E. So the English here is very archaic um, spelling. But So I'm just going to read it to you um, the way we would speak today. But it says, let no man deceive you by any. Any is spelled E-N-Y. That's kind of funny. We spell it A-N-Y now. Let no man deceive you by any means, for the Lord cometh not, except there come a departage first, and that sinful man be opened, ye son of perdition. So that's how the Tyndale Bible reads of 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, 15, 26. There they translated apostasia as departage. The Coverdale Bible, 1535. Now, this was a new one uh, that I... Uh, came across, and this is what I want to talk to you about really quick here. The uh, Matthew's Bible is what it's called. It's also called the Bible, 1537. 
uh, let me see. I got to find this image here. All right. So the Bible or Matthew's Bible, as it's also known as 1537. All right. Now, where's it at? Here it is. All right. So I have a friend on Facebook that was familiar with a particular library in Scotland. And uh, apparently they have an actual um, original uh, or let's see, uh, what would we call it? Maybe a first printing of the Bible, or it's referred to also as Matthew's Bible, 1537. So this library in Scotland, um, in fact, he says here in his text to me, he says he contacted the library in Scotland. They have one of the oldest translations of the English Bible, and they got a response. He wrote to them and asked them if they could actually look inside the 1537 the Bible or Matthew's Bible. They have one of the first printings and tell him what it actually says in there. This is the response. Uh, Dear James, that's his name. Thank you for your inquiry regarding early English Bibles. To answer your query, I refer to the Bible, which is all the Holy Scripture in which are contained the Old and New Testament. That's kind of the whole title there published 1537 i have transcribed the text of this verse to the best of my ability below so they went in they looked in this bible and here's what they uh they responded back in the email this is what they said it said let no man deceive you by any means for the lord cometh not except there come a departage first that's how the bible 1537 an actual uh, original print version. It's housed in a particular library in Scotland. That's what it says, my friends. Hallelujah. So translation history can actually provide a pretty good argument here. Then you've got the the great Bible, 1539. They translate apostasia as departage. The Breaches Bible of 1576. The Beza Bible of 1583. Then we come to the Geneva Bible. The Geneva Bible was extremely popular even after the King James released or uh, after King James released his his in 1611. And it's because there was some controversy on the way King James viewed certain people, and particularly like Jews. And so the Geneva Bible was extremely popular. Uh, now they had three three versions that I'm aware of. There was a 1560, a 1599, and then a 1608. Of course, you know, King James came out with his in 1611. But the Geneva Bible, as far as I understand, they had three, a 1560, a 1599, and a 1608. Now, you can go online and get the Geneva Bible digitally. Let me read uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.3 from the 1599 version of the Geneva Bible. It says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there, except there come a departing first. And that man, and that that man of sin be disclosed, even the son of perdition. That's how the Geneva Bible translated apostasia. They translated it as departing. Okay, so the question is: Is it a defection, or is it a physical departure? Jerome's Latin translation, known as the Vulgate, from around the time of A.D. 400 renders apostasia with the word discessio. I mentioned this last week, dis, discessio. I think I said it was pronounced discessio. I actually went and um, looked up some tools, pronunciation tools, uh, and heard somebody actually say it 
uh, in Latin, and it's discessio. It has like a K sound, discessio. And it means departure or withdrawal. Now, I use several modern translating tools, even a modern Latin dictionary, and that's what it says. It said discessio, modern. I mean, this had nothing to do with the Bible. I just looked up the word discessio, uh, not in uh, reference to this at all. So just how are modern dictionaries defining discessio? What do Latins think discessio means? And uh, these online translation tools and dictionaries say that discessio means departure or withdrawal. Okay. Uh, Clementine's, uh, excuse me, Clementine, his Vulgate of 1592 also uses the word discessio or departure. So if apostasia is properly translated departure, friends, this is what this podcast is about. Then it becomes immediately clear that what Paul is referring to, remember he opens this section with talking about the coming of the Lord and our gathering unto him. Then it becomes immediately clear when he's talking about our gathering unto the Lord, he is referring to the departure of the church, not a defection from the faith. How would you encourage one another with these sayings that right before the Antichrist is revealed, who's going to murder tons of people here shortly after he deceives the world with lying signs and wonders, <laughs> that in that whole process, there's going to be a massive defection from the church. We're talking about born-again folks here, born-again people. How could it possibly mean there would be the, which is a definite article, there would be this defection that would be so obvious, so clear that the church would lose a uh, large portion of itself right before the Antichrist would be revealed. No, friends, that's not what that means. Uh, I've come to believe that the word apostasia does not mean abstract like a defection, but rather it means a departure. Listen, we're about out of time here, so let's say a couple more things and we'll have to make this a part three. It becomes abundantly clear, again, that by placing the definite article, the, in front. Remember, he was talking about the falling away, as King James translated. Some Bibles say the rebellion. Some say the apostasy. But you and I know it as the departure. He is referring to something that's already been mentioned. Again, he said it to us in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1. He was referring to our gathering unto him. Hallelujah. Let me close with reading to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 13 through 18. Paul had already written to them. Remember, he said, don't you remember what I told you when I was with you? He had even written to them again, reminding them about something. Let me read it to you. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. I'm going to pause right there for just a second. You know, it seems like the largest congregation of believers in the world is the congregation of the ignorant. But listen, you it shouldn't be. See, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. Listen, do not remain in the crowd of the ignorant, my friends. I don't want to be. You should not remain there either. Let's get out. Hallelujah. We're coming out in the name of Jesus. He said, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Don't be ignorant, brethren. He said, concerning those who fall asleep. Oh, man, I tell you, when Jesus was raised from the dead, friends, death is no longer death. Now for the believer, it's just simply Sleep. We're not talking about soul sleep. That's 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 heretical. That's something totally different. That's 
devilish. He's talking about your physical bodies. It just goes in the ground and goes to sleep, friends. He says, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, friends, if we believe, and we do, that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Talking about the resurrection of our bodies. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Talking about those who are alive at the rapture, the time of the rapture, the harpazo of the church. He's saying those who have died previous to this, prior to this, we won't rise first. They will have the honor of their bodies being raised from the dead. Hallelujah. And transfigured right before our very eyes, they will rise first. He says, then we who are alive and remain shall be right here. Some people say, well, the rapture is not in the Bible. The rapture is not in the Bible. Rapio, that's the Latin word that was translated into the English rapture from the Greek word right here, caught up. We know it as caught up. It's harpazo. Harpazo, that's the uh, Greek word. Then we who are alive and remain shall be harpazo, shall be raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Watch this last phrase, verse 18. Pay close attention to this last phrase, friends. It says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. And with that, we're out of time today. So is it a physical departure or is it a mass defection from the faith? No, friends, it is not a defection. Listen, somebody defected today, probably. They did yesterday. They did 100 years ago. They did 1,000 years ago. We had the dark ages for crying out loud. There's been people who have turned away from the faith. There's no way, friends. Not in my understanding that Paul would say, comfort yourselves with these words that there will be a mass defection of people from the church. In fact, Joel even prophesied that the Spirit of the Lord would be poured out on all people. No, friends, we're looking for an end gathering. Hallelujah. Listen, if we can pray for you, it would be our honor to do so. You can call us 870-741-9099. Leave a message. Somebody will respond with you. Or you can send an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv. TV. We'll get it to our prayer team. It's our honor to be able to stand with you in prayer, my friends. Thank you so much for being here today. This is the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, my friends, be blessed.